I am Coach O, bitch. Retired head coach of the Ellison, Utah. Guys. And I'm up here in uh, Bend, Oregon, baby. Real nice up here in Central Oregon, hot desert. They got a bunch of mountains, volcanoes, all that kind of stuff. Lava, um, the, the, you know, mountains and forest, desert. They got it all, baby. And they got uh, a lot of, like, gentrification and, like, new buildings and stuff, baby. A bunch of people moving out here. You know, but, uh, I mean, hey, look. It's trendy and all that, but I mean, Coach O ain't gonna be eating no avocado toast, nothing like that. You know, don't worry about me. You know, I'm, I'm still Coach O, bitch. You know, I just like going to them beautiful places and all. Speaking of, town's called Bend, and there's a few people um, that need to be there. I mean, it actually were bending over last week, and that would be uh, Sean Payton and the Saints, and, and obviously uh, Coach Prime and Buffaloes. You know, they get their ass whipped over here in this state, baby. And uh, you know. And the damn Saints band, that, that that just sucked, man. I, uh, Coach O was fine. He saw um, three quarters of it on the plane, and then um, I was in baggage claim, and I was like, I, I couldn't get the game on on my, on my cellular phone, but I had the little updates, you know, ball on the on the 18, blah blah. And it looked like we, we was marching away to kick a field goal, and then I get to my hotel and I see that we, you know, we did, and, and your boy groupie missed. But hey, he's good. Jamie's gonna hang in there, baby. If that old line. Keep sucking, though. I mean, we're going to end up with Danny Wolf. By the time, they're just going to keep knocking our quarterbacks out. You know, it ain't going to be good. But we just keep it. Keep it going. Carr can come back. We, we, I, I mean, Coach O wants to be able to win no matter who you have back there. I mean, put Heath Shula back there. You got that good enough line, baby. Anybody can be good. But, you know, just do what you got to do. That defense is going to be crunk. Everything's going to be good. Ellison, you're going to keep winning. Go Tigers. I am Coach O, bitch. Welcome to the Sports Antidote. I'm your host, Danny Belts, episode number 171. This circus works. What circus? I'll tell you all about that, homie. 14 and 13 against the spread. The Sports Antidote will be boasting its full repertoire batting order nearly as Bro Exotic, the drunk neighbor, and Tommy Bench once again touch base with the Sports Antidote. What are we going to talk about here? What's going on with this circus? I'll tell you. I'll tell you about the greatest part of business commerce nearly in North American history as I witnessed the most amazing money-making machine we have ever seen since the federal government. And as far as making money, I mean stealing it, because that's what this circus is doing. But like the federal government, unlike the federal government, you actually get something in return instead of just a constant sad face. I'm going to talk about the greatest circus in the history of the planet. I don't even care they didn't have a tiger. I don't care they didn't have a lion. They had everything, every single component that would make a fine-tuned machine in seven different sectors that I identified in an hour and 43 minutes. It took me a while, homie. But when there's a game in a game, I'll play Inception with myself and I'll find out what's inside, and I did. And boy, is it amazing to look at the world as I do now. It just makes it a happier place for me, which means a better episode for you. And that's exactly what you are going to get. Once again, welcome to the Sports Antidote here, episode number 171, This Circus Works. Be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. You hear me? You go do it. I ask you. You don't do it. Okay? Follow us on Instagram, at the Sports Antidote. If you listen to this and you don't have, and you do not have Instagram, (coughs) Heath in Nebraska, (coughs) Heath, then get Instagram and just follow us, asshole. How about that? And all the rest of you do the same thing. And also, I see the algorithm with Instagram now has changed. We do need unbelievable interaction. It's unbelievable how little we have for the amount of followers we have and what we post, how funny it is. I mean, I, I'm pretty objective here, I know. So we're going to need interaction, especially now 
after that algorithm flopped a few months ago or changed again. They don't really tell anyone when they do that. Someone smart had to explain it to me, and I, I just said, so that's why we don't have 18 trillion followers. Of course, yeah. We're <laughs> but it's important that you do that, so do that. Be sure and follow us on Instagram. The stories come up every single day we have a new one. Bro Exotic helps out with some of that. Boy, what a wonder he is. He wears a lot of hats within the sports antidote, as does many people on this, and that is exactly what we are going to talk about today. Tommy Bench, Bro Exotic, the drunk neighbor. Tommy Bench coming in to discuss the recent polling in Biden and Trump. Very interesting data he gets into there, some micro data and some things within different ethnicities that typically vote a certain way. We're seeing a very large variance in historical data in that regard. Bro Exotic is laying a massive road SEC, massive, massive road SEC favorite. And we are on the same game for the first time in sports antidote history. Bro Exotic and I will be on the same game, but a different angle. We're not against each other. We'll get to that. The Drunk Neighbor does an incredible job recapping the SEC, talking about what happened, what is to come. Of course, LSU will miss. We always follow Alabama. If you're in to that stuff, that should be your Sunday morning sermon, homie. And speaking of which, break out the Bibles. It's time to run. So in going to the circus, my wife had this idea. And it was a phenomenal idea. She's like, let's take our kid to the circus. So we go across the big causeway bridge, you know, longest bridge over water, I believe still on earth, 24 miles, or maybe there's one longer in Japan. Now, I just know in 1996, it was a Jeopardy question that I got correct. So suck it. I have got one in my life. So we go over here, you know, we go to Kenner, which is where I'm from. It's America's city, says it on the sign. I've said it a thousand times. So it must be true. Everybody knows this. At least it doesn't appear to be American City anymore, but I'll stop right there. But at the same time, the Pontchartrain Center, which was one of the smart things that Kenner did, not New Orleans, and what this city, because this is an actual city unlike Metairie. See, we have a mayor in Kenner. We're not this coupon-waving Metairie trash that thinks they're cool because they're the closest suburb to the worst city on the planet. So Kenner has a leg up there because it's the second city away from the stupidest city on the planet that harbors the stupidest team in the history of North American professional sports. Everybody knows this, full stop, period. (laughs) So it was interesting. Explaining to our kid what the circus is. Who goes to the circus anymore? I mean, it's a thing we say all the time. It's a circus. I say that a hundred times a day. I don't think I've ever been to one. I don't know. I don't remember. Let's go. I think I went to one when I was like five. And I think, show me on the doll where the clown touched that. It's a whole nother thing. But in this case, this was the most unbelievable machine I have ever seen. Listen, when you go to Chick-fil-A for lunch and it's 1230, let me use a better example than Chick-fil-A. I had a lot of examples there. I'll use In-N-Out Burger. Three years ago during the pandemic, I was on my way to see a customer and 30 miles north of San Diego, right there, Escondido, I believe. And I was going to be late. And he told me, due to that punishment, like a punishment on the lateness, you need to go to In-N-Out Burger and get us all lunch. I said, all right, no problem. So I get there and I call him. There's 500 cars in front of me. I mean, you can barely see the restaurant from the vantage point that I have. And I'm just like, dude, there's no way. He goes, you'll be out of there in 10 minutes. I laughed. He hung up the phone. I was out in eight minutes. I'm not taking anything away from Chick-fil-A. The process looks the same. I've just never been to In-N-Out Burger, really. They don't, I think there's one, in, yeah, there's one in Dallas or Arlington, but there's not really any around here. And what they were able to do was, you know, much like Chick-fil-A, you have multiple lanes. You have multiple people taking orders with iPads, which means you have multiple expediters on the other end, which means you have multiple lines of communication. There is a lot of ways that this very effective business model can become ineffective very quickly. 
It does not take much. You also have 17-year-olds manning this. Are they on Instagram? Are they paying attention? I have no idea. But I just know I was out in eight minutes. I got food for six people, and it was the order was correct down to like no pickles on one of the burgers. Like they nailed everything. I gave him a hundred instructions and it it somehow was out of there in eight minutes. Unbelievable. If anything happens in that interval, any channel of communication is missed at any capacity. Someone gets the wrong food, the wrong wrong credit card will be charged or not the wrong card, but oh, that was his food and that's yours. I wanted onions, no pickles, all this stuff. And they're able to circumvent all that because their process is so solid at executing their company strategy, which is so simple. They both have tiny menus. Small menu, big business. Yeah, you don't need a big menu. Less I get into that as I feel I've exacerbated that point a long time ago. My point being In-N-Out Burger and Chick-fil-A, two unbelievable models of execution for the consumer's ease of use as well. There's a lot of great companies out there that make it hard, gut-wrenching, hard to spend your money. It always drives me nuts. Like, why are you making it difficult to take my money? You know, like we have these problems with Amazon and other large cucking S companies that do the same thing. With the circus, however, the way they had this set up was absolutely unbelievable. The fix is in from the beginning, but we knew that. It's only $20 per adult and free for kids under 10. Wow, you're going to have a ton of kids in here, but the more kids you bring in for free, you can assuredly say the more money you are going to spend. Yes, they have this down to a science. You have never seen anything like this. Even if you had a story that was comparable, I'd throw it out the window just because there's no way it's better than this because I'm smarter than you, so my example's better. I mean, of course, are you in your basement doing a self-aggrandizing podcast with your mother in her basement? I'm sorry, mom's basement. She's not here. We get it. Understanding how this works, there was too much going on for me. It took me a while. The way that they have this set up when you walk in, you're just set up to start losing money immediately, but you get stuff for it. And it's not overpriced. It really isn't. They advertise this big pre-circus thing, which you know is this where the racket's coming. All right. So there's an elephant, there's a camel, and a bunch of ponies. It's 25 to ride the elephant, 15 to ride the camel, 10 to ride the ponies. I'd say it's about a minute a pop. Was it fun to watch my wife and kid ride on an elephant? Absolutely. Was it fun to then watch my daughter ride on a camel and then ponies? Absolutely. Was it worth the money? Probably not, but was it worth the money? Absolutely. We don't get a chance to do that too often. Sit on an elephant, right? Do you? For $25, why not? Let's do it. So we did them all. So I'm spending over $100 before this thing has even really began. She has got to ride them all. And they throw a spacewalk in there, of course. That's $10. She has to get on the COVID-infested spacewalk with just, I mean, it's probably a whole nother hybrid strain working in that spacewalk right now. Everyone's probably going to die after that. I don't even know. It was unbelievable the amount of filth in this place. And I felt right at home. I'm not exactly the cleanest guy. I don't know. I'm from Kenner. I'm trash. Maybe it was a Kenner trash circus. I'll take it. I had a blast. But when you get in, number one, Entry rules. The entry rules, how they have this set up. This runs right in line with concessions. Everything is ease of use, extremely high. They make it very easy to spend your money. Credit card, no problem. After we run that, we tell you about the 20% fee we just banged you with. It's amazing. Debit card, no problem. I'm sure we'll, sure we'll take cash. Notice all the concessions and all of the rides all end on a zero and a five. There are no ones necessary. We just want five, tens, twenties, fifties, hundreds, whatever else you got, homie. But we keep this here for a reason. They make it easy to depart with your money, especially through the Congo line of toys, cotton candy, and popcorn. Vendors in your face trying to sell you everything and anything. I think one was peddling around four loco. I don't even know if they were carding people. It doesn't matter. 
It works. While you're caught in the amusement of all of the greeting entry rules, the pre-circus festivities in number two, which is more than just all of this. See, these vendors are working the room. They're getting in here, okay? They're getting in your face, asking you to buy things for your kid in front of your kid. Yeah, they're really good at this. The way they do it, boy, they church it up dirt. Oh, it's incredible how they do that. I was in awe. When I'm getting pitched on something, and I know I'm getting pitched and I am in sales and I'm pretty good at it, I always give the guy a run. Yeah, let's see what you got. These guys were incredible. These were drive-bys. I mean, 20, 15, 5, 10, bam, 150. You don't even know what happened. Has this thing even started yet? No, it hasn't. Not for another hour. Unbelievable. Another testament to the circus that works. Sitting here and watching motorcycles go up a rope 100 feet with a woman dangling underneath her on like a, a chain it's um, It was crazy. I showed it to the drunk neighbor's wife. We still don't even know what we're looking at. I went over there, like, showing some of these videos. There's a guy jumping rope on, like, a massive moving hamster wheel 50 feet off the ground. He suspends himself in midair when he jumps rope. Like, it's, he does it so well, you don't even really know what's happening, you know? The amount of appropriation happening in the circus is higher than anything you could ever imagine. As they come out with different ethnicities, if they're Asian, they have umbrellas and they're dun, 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 dun. oh, it is very appropriating. The best though would be when they sent out two Native Americans who were not even Native Americans dressed as Native Americans riding buffaloes in a circle while they played Molly music. It sounded like this. <sighs> Let the record show Danny Belts was not triggered, however. I did kind of enjoy it all, and there was all different races, all different ages, all different ethnic, you know, everything. And everybody had a phenomenal time. Now, why can't we do that more often? But I guess that's a whole other story in itself. The circus, however, didn't just stop with that. No, no. This is when, right in between the second component of pre-circus festivities, did I understand three, the show within the show. This is when this really became interesting to me. Because much like Bro Exotic will help out with certain things on Instagram, these guys had to do the same thing, but at a level at which you just cannot comprehend. The same girl that was tearing tickets was a, was a contortionist. I remember her face. She had a birthmark right above her eye. Very pretty little girl, a little Asian girl. And probably in her like 50s. I don't even know. You can't see makeup and everything. Can't tell. But she was tearing tickets in the beginning and she's doing contortionist stuff. Well, that's interesting. So let's take a closer look as number five, aside from the contortionist ticket terror, would be the hats you have to wear. The popcorn vendor was the one walking the camels. The MC was a gymnast and a breakdancer. The lady that painted my kid's face before the show was the one attached to the motorcycle that was on a rope going up the rope 100 feet off the ground. You have to be able to do so many things to belong to this circus. You just can't do one thing well. I did not see one person do just one thing. And if anybody in there was looking for this, oh, believe you, it was me. That doesn't get past me, especially when I don't allow it because it's impossible now. But getting the rest of these components was just as amazing as being in the circus. It's inception for Danny Belts. He loves it. This is a circus within a circus within a situation I can talk about on a self-aggrandizing podcast. Does it get any more incredible than that? No, it just doesn't. The pre-circus activities during the show, the pre-circus activities, they break off into two different halftimes. 
This thing lasted four and a half hours all day. It's incredible. The half times just pick up just where the initial pre-activities did. So we have a half time. We have another one. It's like a hockey game. We have two intermissions in between the three periods. Unbelievable. What do you think you're doing during this time? You're spending money, but the popcorn's only $5. I mean, it's not that expensive when you think the beer is only $5. You get a, a hot dog, like nachos, two beers for $20. It was a good deal. But that is all factored into the whole circus the entire time. It's unbelievable. And then, and then at the end, the profitable bartering conclusion. You have never seen anything quite like this. They had somehow, after the second intermission, all the stuff that's left over, all the stuff is now like 50% off, and they'll take it. You can even like bid on it. They just get rid of all the cheap trash from China, still making outrageous profit margins on this. So smart. But here's the, here's the kicker. They also, there's no Pontchartrain employees here. So the people running the concession stands are actually part of the circus. They pay for all this up front, or they get a percentage of the sales, either or. But the big thing about this was, in order for them not to pay for a cleanup fee, they offered any kid that fills up a bag of trash gets three free buckets of popcorn on the way home to make their parents hate this place even more. How many kids do you think wanted three buckets of popcorn? Every single kid except for mine because she was done. She got up at four in the morning. She's not below three buckets of popcorn and cleaning up. We had to get her ass to bed. But the kids cleaned it up for the stuff they were going to throw away. They probably saved $5,000 by not having to pay for that cleanup. And the minute that we leave, the minute that we walk out, they are organizing the next circus to come in, the next show. They get a 30-minute reset, shit, shave, shower, and they do it four times a day. <laughs> it was absolutely, to this day, probably the most impressive thing I've seen to get my money. It was absolutely a sight to behold. Notice I didn't even talk much about what was happening in the actual circus, which was probably way more entertaining, but I just can't help it at this point. There's a, there's a racket happening. If there's one to be had, well, I'm going to have to figure this out and admire it, and that's exactly what it was. We got in for $40, $40, and effectively spent $185, $185 on a 40 They know what they're doing. If we would have had two more kids, we would have spent a nickel. I mean, we're going to put three kids on the elephant. That's $75. And guess what? There was three seats on the elephant. It was full, an awful lot. Think about the profit margins on all this, especially the way they operate internally all the way down to that unbelievable conclusion of getting the kids to clean the place up for something they were going to discard in the dumpster anyway. How smart is that? I've never seen anything quite like that in my life. If you have, well, then hit me up. Well, at the Sports Antidote, let me know, really, because I would like to actually hear that story and maybe even talk about it on here. But until anyone can bring anything better to me than this, I don't even want to know how much money these guys made, let alone what they report. None of that really matters, though. I'll tell you what matters. This matters. Mr. Producer is just on it, moving me along, not allowing me to get caught in what I'm doing right now. Let's talk about some of the leans from last week. Washington at Arizona State. 17 and a half, I told you that was Tennessee part two. It's at the same line now, 19 and a half. I guess it's Tennessee part three. Those numbers are relatively insignificant after 18. You rarely see anything hang on 19. I do think it gets over 20, but we lost too much value here. We have to stay away. Unfortunately, I talked about Cincinnati getting three points. Now they're a one and a half point favorite at BYU. Damn it, I thought that would go the other way. 
I identified what I thought was a, what I knew was a huge edge, but can't believe that the, the, the money found its way to the smart side. Not sure how much value is left in this game that's kicking tonight or tomorrow, I believe, but it's definitely not on a Saturday. Ole Miss LSU, 62 and a half. The total's now 67 and a half, or even 68 at some places. There's a thousand different scores that could fall under. We've lost that value as well. ULL, what did I tell you? ULL opens up. Nine and a half point favorite. It got all the way up to 12 and a half by Thursday. That's exactly what I said would happen. And then it goes down to 11 and a half. And that's where it's probably going to sit. I don't know if I'm comfortable with ULL here. I do think they can win this game. I do. But I don't understand. I did make another mistake last week. I not Another mistake. But, but Northwestern lost in a or They beat Minnesota in a close game. So that's even a worse kind of spot for, for ULL here. But I didn't. I had that in consideration anyway. The Instagram page is something you're going to need to follow for these leans because we're not done with these yet. Colorado USC, 73.5. Now it's 74.5. We're going to probably have to stay away from that as well. Arkansas A&M. I can't see really doing anything there. I'm going to have to stay away from Kentucky and Florida, even though we didn't talk about those that game on the Sunday sickness. But now that we have those out of the way, let's get into what we're doing. And if you follow us on Instagram, you would know. UConn opens up five and a half point favorite or dog. We love that. Gets down to four and a half. I can tell everyone to bet him. Everybody gets four and a half, five. Now it's six and a half. Danny Belts has cucked you. But what I think this is, is I think this is more of a, a, a massive fade on UConn. There's not a lot of money on this game. There's not a lot of tickets on this game. This is where college football can become very volatile in comparison to pro. When there's fewer tickets and more money, then the volatility of the swings will be great. I, I notice it stays at six and a half. They're incentivizing you not to take UConn minus 125 on that at FanDuel right now. I do think this goes back down, but I still think UConn wins the game. If you're going to take them, take them now at six and a half, or maybe wait, you might get seven. I doubt it. I would not like that if it goes to seven, but whatever. We have UConn on the record. I think they win the game still. Another thing we cocked on. Sorry. But the Missouri total has gone from 56 and a half to 54 and a half. Hold that. We'll come right back to that in one second. On the other side, Oregon State, Oregon State, now a three-and-a-half point favorite. We got him in at two. That's a huge number, so we win there. All three of these on the record, we're going to come back to Missouri, that being 56-and-a-half. You can get 54-and-a-half right now. Now let's get into what we maybe add. The United States Naval Academy. What an amazing time for Tommy Bench to bring his presence back, as I have not talked about his alumni in quite some time until now. I can't remember the last time the Navy has been favored aside from last year over Temple in one game in an FBS school, and they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the same team, South Florida, that gave Alabama all they wanted for three hours. How in the hell is the Navy favored over a team that could have potentially beat Alabama? Take my money, right? The Navy has a new coach, and the Navy has a new direction, and the Navy looks pretty damn scrappy. That's a trap. And I don't think the Navy's favored enough. And if I think the Navy can cover three and a half, I think they win by 15, 14 plus. And if I do think the Navy wins, I don't think they punt much. Which means this 54 and a half would probably go over, went up two points from its opening total. That's a really high total for the Navy these days. I don't know what to do here yet, but I am telling you right now, there's a 99% chance I'll be on the Navy. I just need to get my feet under this one. Danny Belts has his attention on that one. And Danny Belts has also had his attention drawn to the Volunteers. Once again, South Carolina coming off a pretty solid win versus Mississippi State. Is not the team we bet last year. That's why we didn't bet them this year. 
But in this year, their interior line and other avenues they have are going to present massive challenges this week. But the big thing about Tennessee is this. Their defense might be better than their offense. Do not let this Florida game fool you. They came out and inspired half of football. Napier being smart, very conservative in the second half, packed it in and they didn't even get close. That's a good move on his part. You don't need to be cute when you're up by 29 or whatever that was, 28, 22, excuse me, at half. But Florida, not to get on Florida, but in this spot, in this particular spot with Tennessee, South Carolina two years ago destroys, gets destroyed by Tennessee there in Knoxville. South Carolina unleashes the frustration of 200 years of sexual frustration, I guess, on them just blasting them last year. Rattler going insane in their coming out party before the disaster that was the beating of Clemson, which was just incredible. But South Carolina's having problems stopping just about everybody. And Tennessee's defense is not having problems stopping many. Don't let that Florida game fool you. They didn't have that many yards anyway. Tennessee's going to shut down. Shut down this South Carolina team. I don't know how to lay this many points, but I'm going to do it. Tennessee at 12 at Pinnacle right now on the record. Tennessee minus the 12 at home versus South Carolina, a team you do not want to do this against. They are excellent in these underdog spots. I know this more than you, trust me. Unless you're a South Carolina fan or bet them every week. But I don't care. And if I like Tennessee to cover 12 and a half, I probably think they score more than 37 and a half points. I think that should be around 41 and a half. That's not on the record yet, but Tennessee most certainly is. So on the record, Oregon State minus two, UConn plus the five. Missouri over 56 and a half at Vandy. Tennessee minus the 12, and boy, are we looking at the Navy. Or that total, stick on that. Missouri, this is almost a play of the year for me. The line going the other way actually makes me happy. Vanderbilt is returning a ton of starters on defense to very, very skillful positions. I believe L.A. Burns will be on Vanderbilt this week going against Bro Exotic. Spoiler alert, I couldn't help it. But in this game, you're going to have to really wake up early to convince me that anyone's going to be stopped in this football game. Kansas State's defense is good as anyone in that conference, and they easily scored 30-plus on them. Memphis defense sucks on a neutral field. They scored 34 on them, probably could have scored closer to 40-something many points as they left on the field with red zone field goals. Cook and Schrader from Missouri, the quarterback-running back combination, are very dangerous when they're working together in unison, but they rarely are. But I think they will be versus Vanderbilt. Even with the returning starters, I don't really care. I think this line movement's based on history. I don't think it's based on what's to come. Because Vanderbilt loses 30, 36, 20 to Wake. Give up 36 to them. 40 to UNLV. 45 at home to Kentucky, who's not exactly some sort of powerhouse. There was a lot of turnovers in that game. Don't let the school score fool you. Less than 600 total yards in that game. Ton of interceptions. Swan gets, Swan gets benched. Three picks. In comes Sears. This is a whole different type of offense with what Vanderbilt tries to do, is their quarterback controversy probably not versus Missouri? Probably not much at all. I am not concerned about the quarterback situation in either of these games. Both of these teams have problems stopping the run on first down. If you have problems stopping the run on first down, it opens up the arsenal for any team with 10% capability in Division I football to put a big play on you. Both of these teams' special teams is about as special as I am, not at all. There is going to be some special teams muffs a return, a fumble, uh, it'll be something gross on special teams. I, I never say that, so I'm not trying to hang wood on the wall with no nail. I'm just saying, you heard it here first. There's going to be a special teams disaster in this game to help us. 
If it's a field position game, we could be screwed, but I don't think so. And I don't think Vandy's going to pack it in and try to run all day. 54 and a half right now represents a double down opportunity for me because I get off of three major numbers or scores that could fall in right there. I can't believe I'm going to do this. But if I do it now, I'd be a fool. But if this goes down anymore, how can I not sit here and watch? I don't care how much it goes down. Here it comes right now. This is going to be a play of the year on the sports antelope number one. I don't care if it gets down to 51 and a half. I'll go down on this ship. I know me going against line movement like this does not relate to how I typically communicate what I want to do to you. However, if I said I would be here, I'd be lying out of my left ass cheek because I do think this goes over 60 points very easily. I do think no one really stops each other. Although that could definitely happen. I did like an under in a game that had 1,000 points and took a team getting six and a half last week. That's still getting scored on right now, but play the year, whatever it posts at. I know I can't say that, but I'll put it on Instagram when we get the official play up. But if I like it at 56 and a half, I guess I love it at 52 and a half. Or whatever else stupid things it goes to. Maybe I dig my own grave, but that's okay. I'm comfortable in these spots. I'm comfortable because I know when it's all said and done, the wins will be there like they are every single year. You know it. I know it. We all know it. I'll give a futures update coming into the Sunday sickness. Guys, we need you to tell people about this podcast. This is really special what's happening right now, and you know it. No one's doing anything like this, at least to my knowledge. Running things through Sunday, correlating that to Thursday, separating the church and state while not, but still making it appeasing to both sides that don't care about sports or gambling or just politics. See Tommy Bench. This is very unique what we're doing right now, and it is growing astronomically, and I'm happy. But I want it to grow more, and I want it to grow now. In order for you to do that, you need to tell someone about this show, and they will tell someone else. I will not stop saying this. I know I said once I will, but I cannot. So do it, especially to people and only to people, really, that you know would like it so you don't put yourself out there. Follow us at The Sports Antelope. Reach out, touch your brother. Tell somebody about The Sports Antelope. Today, has anybody seen Bro Exotic? Oh, before we bring on Bro Exotic, I think I forgot to do something very important. The reason why I talked about the circus, and the way to be such an amazing way to lose money because it's such an amazingly high-functioning business. That is why I was talking about Missouri. I just left the most important part out. You'll excuse me, but we'll get it right here. This is really a scenario where both of these defenses, I feel, work in perfect harmony with the way both these teams can move the ball. With Vanderbilt having problems Excuse me, Missouri having problems stopping the interior run. This is going to set up all the Looney Tune things that Vanderbilt will do in their high school offense. Even with the returning cornerback and, and another linebacker, I'm not sure it's going to slow down Missouri, who is so much bigger than Vanderbilt up front. Missouri is enormous this year. I still think Vanderbilt will score, and I think Missouri will too. The circus was amazing for one reason. It had to be completely functional to get the maximum amount of money out of me. This needs to be the same way to hit this. But with the number being so low as it is, and I do believe it's there for a reason, I think that we're going to get some touchdowns that nobody really sees coming. I know that sounds crazy, but I think it is going to happen. This doesn't necessarily need to function like the circus, but boy, these offenses sure damn look like one. But the circus works. And so will this over. Now bring in Bro Exotic, Mr. Producer. Where the hell is this man? Well, that's a bit of a problem. Looks like it's you who's in need of a gender education. We must try not to get canceled. Prepare to be canceled! Bro Exotic joins the Sports Antelope. What's going on, bro? Uh, what's going on, dude? Bro Exotic, uh, Vice Pit of Cow, Church of Woke. 
Uh, what's going on, dude? Sick. Uh, nothing much. I'm just looking at the damage from last week. I didn't do so well, but uh, you you may have done kind of well. Let's let's review the week that was for Bro Exotic. And then, of course, what's to come? That's even more spectacular than this will be somehow. But what you got, bro? I think I think your team went to business here. Oh, uh, yeah, dude. Or- Oregon, uh, Oregon went to town, dude. Uh, yes. the, woke, the woke Mecca. Uh, the walls uh, stood tall and uh, they, they stood strong. <laughs> I did predict that they would win by 35. Alas, uh, they won by 34. Um, Is that the the District 14 a- AOC edge? <clears throat> yep, yep, yep. But uh, District 13, I think, is Rashida Tlaib. So I think we're still good there. Still good there. Check. Got it. But, uh, but yeah, dude. So we just uh, – we smashed that one, dude. We knew that the uh, – we knew that the woke mecca was going to stand tall, dude. But definitely looking forward, man. Uh, we got we got a uh, we got a really good one uh, this week, dude. Um, and it follows a, a, a really, really great up and coming Disney uh, woke classic that's uh, said to be coming up, dude. It's a the tale as old as time, a song as old as rhyme, dude. Talking about Beauty and the Chief. <coughs> Beauty and the Chief. Yeah, dude. So we all saw. Oh, man, we all saw the Chiefs win forty-one uh, ten against the Bears, bro. Uh, saw Travis Kelsey with seven receptions, 69 yards, and a touchdown after he really wasn't doing that well this season. But guess what that was about, dude? Uh, that was about this love interest of his, Taylor Swift, man. And I'm telling you what, dude, this is a woke match made in woke heaven, bro. I mean, Travis Kelsey, uh, recently, uh, he was in a Pfizer uh, COVID vaccine commercial, which yep, showed a yep. clip of him, uh, this warrior of the woke. Uh, kneeling during the national anthem in 2017 in support of civil rights Superman Colin Kaepernick, hashtag Breonna Taylor. Uh, and then speaking of Taylor, Taylor Swift, you know, she is our, our woke warrioress who bravely and openly criticizes Trump and continues to create critically acclaimed songs in support of gay rights, uh, hashtag trans rights, hashtag uh, Dylan Mulvaney. And, uh, you know, dude, she she really just Puts her own celebrity in jeopardy, dude. Just being so brave, Trump bashing and supporting LGBTQ uh, plus rights. And uh, she dances to the beat of her own drum, dude. And she bravely signals uh, virtue around these subjects because no one else will. I mean, she has unique political hot takes. Like uh, like in May of uh, 2020, when she tweeted to Trump, quote unquote, we will vote you out in November. Hot take. So brave, Pretty so much. funny. And in uh, her opinion on the gender uh, wage disparity in the entertainment business uh, should earn her a Nobel Peace Prize uh, unless the patriarchy uh, inevitably uh, messes that up for her. So, you know, given that we have this this woke hurricane of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift hovering around Kansas City, Missouri, dude, we're thinking that this hurricane is going to move swiftly into Nashville, Tennessee when Whoa. Missouri goes to Vanderbilt. Oh, and man. I'm telling you, dude, they are going to thrash them. Missouri minus 13 and a half. It's a lock. Uh, it's going to be the woke lock of the year. Whoa. Whoa. The woke. The, the walk. It's, it's the, the walk. The walk. The walk. Wow. The this woke is the lock warlock. Is the, yeah. War, let's just call it the warlock. Yeah. I can't really do on the fly acronyms. That is unbelievable. The warlock. You so, are laying yeah, the dude, warlock. This, this, in- this woke cat- category five hurricane, dude. It's moving from Columbia, Missouri, uh, straight down to Nashville, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt's going to get smoked out the water, bro. 
This is unbelievable. Uh, wouldn't the uh, – is there a chance that the wokeism of Swift and the wokeism of Kelsey could have met in the middle and then canceled, just kind of canceled each other out or canceled in general? Or is it, is it the one where they just had to adjoin? Like, was there a chance of anything happening like that or no? Well, the, the perfect thing about the, bo- the both of them is that they, they check their privilege uh, constantly. Oh, of course. So of course. Their yes. uh, ca- cancellation shield – uh, it's very strong. <laughs> it, right. I mean, it's almost they, they, impenetrable they, at that point. They work in perfect tandem with each other, just like the spiraling of a hurricane, dude. So that's why, I mean, these uh, the, these people of non-color uh, just constantly checking privilege uh, and uh, staying in this woke relationship, dude. I think we're just going to move. It's going to move right uh, over to the East Coast, dude. Uh, they're going to wreak havoc, man. Uh, question. Next time you talk to Kelsey, I know you guys talk a lot. Did he check his privilege when he became the most popular player over the team, which was a man of color in his quarterback? Has he has he done this? Uh, no, dude, that's just the woke following. Uh, it's it's kind of like checked his privilege. I mean, he, it's it's really not up to him, dude. It's about oh, the woke wow. audience. It's about the woke fan base. <laughs> of course, of these two, dude. Of just course. like just like I said, dude. I mean, look, it's it's a <laughs> tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, dude. <laughs> Beauty and the Chief. Everyone <laughs> loves it. Everyone supports it. Uh, it's it's a beautiful it thing. Unbelievable point. I mean, bro, because I, I ask questions, you answer them. Chronologically, it flows like I'm a little behind on purpose. You know, like you give me a little carrot, but I get there just kind of stumbling, you know? Uh, so we really, we like Missouri. We're laying the big road favor. This is what we're doing. That's what we're doing, dude. Uh, Missouri, uh, or as they say, Missouri. Uh, yes. Minus uh, 13 and a half, bro. Hashtag General Cartman Lee. I uh, should have saved that for the end, but I think you went South Park there, although that was probably an offensive hashtag, so I'm sorry. Are you forgiven? It's fine. Well, thank you. Well, see, there is forgiveness in the Church of Woke, ladies and gentlemen. You see the forgiveness? I am sorry, bro. I didn't mean to say that, but you know, it kind of plays, but just You are a student audience. of the woke, so you are, you are exonerated. It's, it's thank all good, you. dude. I, I will give you how many half Fauci's? Just a handful? Maybe eight? Um, may, maybe a good uh, 14 in honor of AOC. Good 14 and a half. Wow, what a way to end. I mean, this man, if you don't think he's ready to roll. Bro Exotic, thanks for joining the show. Uh, congratulations on your thunderous win uh, last week. Uh, this week, another big favorite. Uh, I'm going to follow you just because I feel the spirit of the woke is upon you right now. And you're anointed on this show to tell us what to do with our money, correct? I mean, this is everybody knows this. Everybody knows this, dude. Yeah, so thank you. Well, thank you, Bro Exotic. Anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah, dude. No joke. Stay woke, dude. Uh, hashtag uh, Kelsey Swifty. And uh, we'll see you next week, dude. Oh, okay, bro. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> All right, dude. Cheers. <laughs> Drunk David joins the sports editor. What's going on, pal? Oh, hey. Thanks for having me. Ready to talk a little LSU woo pig. We are, man. Uh, last week, just unbelievable. LSU tries to lose this game, tries to get your heart rate up a few times. Very successful. Me as well. Sneak away with the win. A lot of things here I do want to discuss. And then we have the game coming up. A huge game versus Ole Miss, which the spread has not moved. But where do you want to begin this week in our SEC LSU breakdown? So we should have known. 
that it, it just can't be easy against these bastards. They hate LSU so much, they Arkansas. They hate us so And the thing is, is I kind of like Arkansas. Like, I don't hold a, a hatred for a team like that. Uh, I like Sam Pittman. I saw all of his stuff, like, where he was encouraging his punter after getting, like, destroyed on social media. And I think mental health is a little gay to talk about. But <laughs> I did appreciate him backing up his players. Um, so let's let's just go through the game real quick. Um, else you couldn't get the ball moving in the first half. It did not look like the offense that we've gotten used to. Uh, they go down 3 nothing, Then they go down 6 nothing. So I, one thing I do want to highlight, because we're going to beat up on the defense a little bit today, is that they did play great in the red zone. I mean, shut down in the red zone. Really great. And um, <laughs> they, they just... What is this kid's name? I'm uh, Jefferson for them. For the they, he's about. He looks like King Xerxes back there. <laughs> he does. They and they made him look like it too. KJ Jefferson. They could not tackle him all no. night. Um, so getting so many bodies on this kid, uh, it was it was a disgrace to be honest with you for a lot of it. But they did play well in the red zone. Uh, we saw some of our guys. We talked about Whit Weeks had a really good game. Um, our guy, the other freshman, sorry, I'm going to blank on his name and come back. Uh, Makai Wingo had one of his best games once again. Uh, one of the issues, I thought, on defense, I was singing his praises last week for eating up double teams, but this week it wasn't that well. He actually got pretty bu- uh, banned up by Arkansas, uh, and that's Mason Smith. Uh, actually, you could tell a real difference when he came out and Jordan Jefferson came in. The Jordan Jefferson? <laughs> no. Shut up. Not him. We're not. That's the last time we even do that. Jordan Jefferson, <laughs> the West Virginia transfer, came in and played really well. Ate up the line. Um, him and Makai Wingo played really good games. They just, that Jefferson kid, he found a way to be elusive and get out of the pocket and make some throws downfield. Um, it, it just, it wasn't the, the defense that you were coming to expect after the way that they played against Mississippi State. And maybe maybe we just overrated LSU's, especially the defense, after that Mississippi State win. We're going to learn a lot more against Ole Miss. So let's talk a little bit about getting back into this game because Jane Daniels did not look great to start, but then he comes in, throws that 49-yard touchdown pass to Brian Thomas, who had a really great game. He caught that one, and then to start the second half, he got, they scored on every possession after that. They would have scored touchdowns on all of them, but did a great job of milking the clock and kicking the field goal at the end. And we do not have to deport Ramos. He is we actually don't. playing very well. <laughs> uh, Damian Ramos has played well, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give him a break. And then I, I heard a lot of fans complaining about the way that uh, Brian Kelly managed the clock. He did it perfectly, in my opinion. He got it down to five seconds, kicked the field goal, and then did not allow them to do the Scott. Van Pelt patented pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo at the end of the game to let anything go too crazy. Uh, Ended up getting an interception at the end end of the game by Zion Alexander. So uh, some things that I liked, Brian Thomas had a great game. Malik Neighbors had a great game. He had a drop on the first possession, but after that, he was just about as sure thing as you could have asked for. Uh, They ran the ball really well. I, I just think you know, they got 34 points. We're still averaging over 40 points a game. I think we'll definitely score more than 40 against Ole Miss this upcoming week. I think Jaden Daniels is really finding his way. There's only like five teams in, in all of college football that score more than 45 points a game. And almost, I think all of them are out West. 
So LSU is going to be okay. I just, I'm going to temper my expectations. Uh, I do think that they're going to beat Ole Miss this week. So you want to talk a little bit about the Ole Miss Alabama game real quick? Yeah, we can definitely do that. Can I make one point? Yeah, please. I wanted to say, yeah, yeah. So the clock management by Kelly was, was brilliant. We've seen Sean Payton do this with a stupid team in the world. As a matter of fact, he did it to the Eagles in the playoffs. Remember this? You take a knee, and basically we're saying, we're kicking a field goal, this is it. So anyone that argued with that is classic Tiger Droppings idiots, uh, which we've become accustomed to. But speaking of clock management, we talked about this. Pittman had that one part in that game where in the second half, they decided to call a timeout on a fourth and four, and then fake a field goal yeah. successfully. Okay. Then in another quandary, he calls a second timeout on the same possession. Okay, now in my opinion, and I know we sometimes disagree, but you, you're, you're almost, you're committing yourself to this possession now, to score or not score. And then and, they only kicked. And you kick a field goal. Now, they was fourth and goal from like the 12. So I know the situation presented one. But as Pittman, you have to understand when you start burning those timeouts, the play calling can't be sequential to get you in that spot. And those timeouts inevitably cost them a chance. Yeah. So by Brian Kelly doing what he did, allowing the other coach to be Pittman showing he's this is what he's missing. Yeah, absolutely. Kelly showing what he's not. You can see the difference in the strategy. It couldn't have worked out any better for what it was. And to add to your point, this was Arkansas's Super Bowl if it's not this week. They gave a fake field goal in the red zone. You practiced that all week, right? This is kitchen sink. So just kudos to Coach. Four straight years. Four straight years, three points or less. This game has been decided by. (laughs) That's right. Last year was three. When they pick up a fourth and 21, there goes the cover. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's just Brian Kelly knows what he's doing in these situations. It is absurd. It, I can't even get angry anymore. I, I won't. Yeah. Just, the <laughs> what de- he wanted to do. One thing I will say, the defense was on the field the entire oh, second well, The half. offense scored so fast, right? They scored so fast. And this was a problem in 2019. It's generally a good problem to have. They're going to have to just become a more opportunistic defense, one that Forces some turnover, kind of yeah, like the Saints in two thousand nine, like agree. where they were just offense rolls, defense get turnovers. That's going to have to be the way that they win, and they have a chance because Jackson Dart is prone to turning the football oh, over. He's he's a wild card. The other, the only other thing I'll add to the deep, two things I noticed, and we'll get to Alabama right now, in the Florida State game and in the Arkansas game, there's four huge touchdowns, four over sixty yard home runs. All four of those were both those quarterbacks. Kind of getting out of it. The secondary contained coverage is the problem. I feel the first three seconds is there. But if these guys, remember Jefferson, how awkward it was? He got out the pocket and stood there for like three seconds. I felt like just heaved it 50 yards down. It, I think that's the problem is that I don't know how what that means, but when containment is broken, it's broken. They <laughs> like, talked about that. They did? Um, Zy Alexander completely blew his assignment and ran up to try to go, like make a tackle. <laughs> And it left that kid, Luke Haas, who who must have had like 900 catches in the game. Oh, God. uh, That white freshman. Uh, (laughs) And then he even caught the two-point conversion on that one. So they were – I'll tip my hat to Arkansas. They always bring it against LSU. Uh, Physical football game. They're just going to have – I mean, LSU is just going to have to play better this upcoming week on the road. It seems like they play better on the road. So we'll, we'll see. 17 and a half point spread in that game, right? I know. We talked about it. I was like, well, it's can't do it. But anyway, LSU, Ole Miss, I watched most of that game with you. Missed most of the first half. I didn't miss much. Uh, What's your take on all of this after that? Is Bama, is that a, I mean, not a signature win. They beat Ole Miss by a couple touchdowns. But how do you feel about, you know, them moving forward or Ole Miss? Uh, Alabama, I'd be very concerned. Um, (laughs) That offensive line looked terrible. Horrible. Jalen Milrow, you'll look at his stats 
from that game and think, oh, he played a pretty good game. They had an opportunity at the beginning of the second half. They they had the momentum going into the locker room. I think they kicked a field goal to end uh, the first half. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they come in and they block a punt against <laughs> Alabama. Get the ball at the one-yard line. Got very fortunate that it didn't roll out the back of the end zone. And then lost 20 yards and ended up kicking a field goal. Your offensive line isn't very good. Your quarterback isn't very good. And Ole Miss made a mistake of just trying to get into like this defensive struggle with them. I, I don't it was like Lane <laughs> Kiffin was trying to like match Nick Saban, yeah. like beat him his own way. Slow game. And it's just not gonna happen. No. Like that's I think we've seen year over year that the way to beat Saban is you gotta run a tempo offense and score a lot of points and Make this team come from behind, and they and I mean they came from behind. They were down seven nothing and seven to six with the two field goals. Um, Alabama ran away with it in the second half. Ole Miss couldn't move the football in the second half. Um, just I, it, it felt like the pressure just came down on Ole Miss, yeah. and they didn't know what to do with it. Sometimes too in that game, you can see Kiffin his indec- indecisive nature. Yeah, you're right, Kiffin aside from him being the most fascinating person almost in history, fails upwards to a billionaire. It was incredible, some of the indecision. Ole Miss is burning stupid timeouts. I, I still don't feel he has a, a grasp on everything. It's a little there. too cute. If you're betting this game, LSU, Ole Miss, not to bounce around, you have to consider something that I know sounds donkey-esque. You have to consider the coaching matchup here. You really do. And I know sometimes it doesn't play. But in this case, I think it does. It seems like Kiffin's ego continues to get, continues to get in the way. I don't know. I think... Kelly may just give him enough rope. Maybe he even hangs himself early, but the two and a half is really weird. You know, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what to think about that. Uh, do you feel it, it seems like every single game, if you're gonna bet on LSU just to take overs, because <laughs> they're gonna give up a lot of points and they're yeah. gonna score a lot of, what's the total? It's it went from sixty two and a half to we talked to, I talked about it Sunday. Now it's sixty eight. So clearly the total yeah. has shot. That sounds about right. We've lost a ton of value. You can't take that now. That that goes over all of the kill numbers. You know, there's like a thousand scores that covers. So yeah, but it's going to be a lot of points. But clearly, Alabama. That's a feel good win. But you can't feel too good after that. No. You can't really if you're LSU after that. You got the win. If you're Ole Miss, you just got you know. I guess what happens is supposed to happen. If Ole Miss loses this game to LSU as they could, I think you're going to hear the clamoring immediately. I know this sounds like a hot take. If this season ends up a dumpster fire. I, I, it could be the end. I, I know it, there's contracts, there's buyouts, but like they're not happy up there. So I hope that LSU slams these guys. Oh, he, I don't know. Maybe keep Kiffin around. Maybe. He was close from getting beat by Tulane. Uh, that score did <laughs> not indicate. was not good. They, they won. I they mean, did. And, they should have won. Uh, they earned the win. They did. They, even without uh, Tulane. Uh, Pratt. Jack Pratt, who could eat no fat, uh, not playing. <laughs> they play pretty well. So they play LSU, then they go, they play Arkansas at home, Auburn away, Vandy. So the rest of the schedule isn't too bad until they hit A&M, Georgia, and then, of course, yeah. the Egg Bowl at the end of the year. But LSU's got their hands full, um, especially on the defensive side. But I do think that LSU could pull this away, maybe like a 41-38. I, I could definitely see this game going over again just because yeah. LSU's going to score points. And, I mean, maybe they the defense plays better on the road again, but – I I'm not signing up for that just yet. Is there any? Well, I, I I can't either. Any other games you can think? I know you got. No one really cares. Vandy playing Missouri. I know that you 
you go ahead. You 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 got a good take on one of these guys after a game that's three weeks later. Yeah. So <laughs> poor Vanderbilt. I thought that they would break this three and a half. They're stuck at two wins right now. It kind of got beat. It it kind of broke down after that UNLV, UNLV loss, yeah. which they should have won, but they lost. Um, Missouri. Obviously a very tough football game. That's who LSU has next, and that's going to be a nice 11 a.m. kickoff in Mizzou. Uh, That's going to be a tough one. But from what I understand, Vanderbilt's getting some guys back this week. We're looking at a possible trap. Because from what I've heard, ever since Missouri beat Kansas State, (laughs) the eyes have just been on LSU. And then it definitely showed against uh, Memphis last week, who's not a very good team. Um, They ended up winning by seven. I think they were up by 14 at some point. But... Didn't That'll Missouri be a very comment, interesting one. Yeah. Didn't they comment on like a They look? said, bring on LSU next. It's Before the, it, Vanderbilt. In, in fairness to them, it <laughs> is their next home game right. uh, since then. But um, <laughs> You don't go, say that. Yeah, no. They go, they go to Nashville. <laughs> They'll be taking on um, Vandy. Vandy who, yeah. We'll see. Let's, let's see if Vanderbilt can string some stuff together. Other places around the SEC, I'm very. I will definitely be watching that A and M Arkansas game. Oh, it's a big one. live from Jerry World. You know, it's not in Arkansas, right? Yeah, I, I put it in. The, I'm uh, joking. No, no, I, I had to come. No, you're right. I, I completely botched. Good job. You, you got me. <laughs> the o- o- uh, the revenge of the oink oink. Hopefully for Arkansas. A and M never gets old. A and M will be starting Max Johnson this week. Return uh, of the Max. Return of the Max. Return of the Max. <laughs> Max Johnson, former LSU Tiger, uh, actually looked pretty good against Auburn at the end of the game. Um, I'm going to also be very – but also, real quick, Arkansas, that was a physical football game and a heartbreaker that they yeah. just lost. Ah, oof, That's going to be tough for them to come back from that. But yeah. they generally always do. They always. It seems like they're always forward. They don't really have like the lingering. They no. don't let a team beat them twice like they're LSU so used, used to. to. It, you know. Yeah, like when we lose to Alabama and then right. inevitably lose to Arkansas of the course. next week. So, uh, also this week we've got Georgia Auburn. We talked about Auburn being able to pull one upset this year. So keep your eye out on that. Yeah. Georgia has started really slow in a lot of those games. I'm not saying that. Hugh Freeze is like the offense has not been good for them. Uh, Connor Payne or whatever the Michigan State transfer has not been very good. Nope. But watch them maybe change a lot of stuff that they do on offense this week and throw some, th- just throw throw Georgia for a loop and keep that game a lot closer than a lot closer than the experts think, as Lee Corso would always say. This would be the game, especially after Auburn looked like just that man. The quarterback scenario, like you, the quarterback situation, it's a mess. It's a, it's a disaster. But I think Freeze is this is his test out year. But they they probably will hang tough um, with that. And then before I forget, I did want to get your take on right here. So your boy Sun Sun Bell Bill yeah. going going to Kentucky. This is a huge. I believe we said as you alluded to a Super Bowl for Kentucky. Yeah, they absolutely. have to win. So Kentucky brought in this Devin Leary kid from Virginia who's been pretty good for them. Um, their offense is definitely more explosive than. Most of the teams that Florida's played, though Florida was able to lock down Tennessee, which has a very explosive offense. Um, But I'd be careful on this one. Uh, I see Kentucky is favored by one point. That seems a little weird to me. Um, In Lexington, Florida just doesn't score very well. (laughs) Even against Charlotte, and and I'm not trying to just beat up on on Florida right now. They didn't score in the second half against Tennessee. Yeah, they're they're just, the offense isn't very good. Graham Mertz, you know, he is what he is. 
So they're going to have to play really good defense against Kentucky. Yeah. I like that it's a home game for Kentucky. And again, this is a Super Bowl for Kentucky. This is probably, other than Georgia, the biggest game on their schedule. Um, it, it's definitely what they've been looking forward to. They're 4-0, and ain't played nobody, Paul. But they're still... <laughs> I'm, I definitely would look at Kentucky here. Uh, Florida, I, you just... They remind me of like... I, I don't like the end of the Les Miles era where it wasn't like very good teams. <laughs> I get it. It, like the offense was awful, but the defense is good. So the total on that is 44. and Pro I, total. That's very interesting. So yeah. um, I, I don't know who I would pick in that game, but I, I think that, that Florida can't lose that game, frankly, no. because that's probably the biggest one they got left uh, other than Georgia, of course, the cocktail party. Oh, the yes. The cocktail party is. Bro Exotic refers to it. <laughs> he does. I love it. Well, there's, there is definitely going to be, and this is when the SEC season begins to take shape, and this is when you can kind of get a feel for This is when you really start to build the momentum. We're going to find out a ton with Alabama. LSU will miss will be the biggest indicator of the year. I think so. And if they can contain Dart and do, I'll feel really good. They get out of there with a 10-point win. I don't really care what the score would be. If they win 30 to 20, I'd be yeah. elated to get out of there and get this season rolling after this, you know, duck loss in the beginning of the year. Yeah, and then we're going to have a measuring stick for Alabama against, LSU against Alabama as Alabama is playing state this week yep. in Starkville. Um, Mississippi State is obviously not very good. They just lost to South Carolina. Um, so now everybody's riding the South Carolina hype train that started very early this year. You were right on last year. I'm not sure about this year. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're going to see. They've, they've got a lot of hype around them. So Alabama against Mississippi State. If you're Alabama, you just got to hope that your offensive line looks a hell of a lot better than it did last week. LSU's offensive line played really well against the state. They were opening holes. They were able to run. They were able to throw. They were able to do pretty much whatever they wanted yeah. um, in the second quarter going forward. So that'll be very interesting to watch as well. But Back to LSU and Ole Miss. Uh, I guess I'll give a prediction. I forgot to give one last right. week. So let's do uh, let's do like a 41-38, go to hell, Ole Miss, go Tigers. <laughs> go Tigers. We'll see you next week, brother. Thank you, sir. Tommy Bench joins the Sports Antidote. Been a while, pal. What's going on? Good to be back, Chief. Good to be back. Just busy with three kids, ages 13, 9, and 7 now. Uh, what's the big deal? I don't know. Driving to ten different practices throughout the week. I, I don't know what could be what could be difficult about that. Just read the instruction manual on these kids. That's all you That's need right. to do. Yeah, man. That's right. I speaking of kids, I mean, we have some childish behavior. Oh, see that transition happening right now, uh, you know, with this entire administration. Rather than me really just, you know, step on this puddle, why don't you go ahead and just bust it on open? Let us know what you're thinking on this lovely evening. So interestingly, right now as we're recording, the the second Republican debate is occurring, of course, without Donald Trump. So in some ways, it's really turned into who's auditioning for what cabinet positions. Um, you know, <laughs> the fact that Trump's lead has grown in the last three to four months is is incredible because you would figure, well, once other people get serious and start campaigning, they'll start chipping away. But that apparently hasn't happened. The indictments, as suspected, have have really boosted him to the forefront. And, and an interesting thing, I was recently speaking with somebody who's a, a moderate to moderate right Republican, you know, voted Republican very reliably, voted for Trump twice, begrudgingly in 16. I had to pull him across the finish line, did it in 20. But after Trump's conduct after 20, uh, he will not vote for him in 24. There's no circumstance he'd vote for him in 24. So I, I use him as somewhat of a barometer. 
I was talking to him the other day and I said, you know, what, what do you what do you think if Trump is actually sitting in a jail cell? And he said, Tommy, I think that will propel him to the presidency. He said, really? <laughs> so he disagreed. You know, the wide assumption is indictments help him in the primary, hurt him in the general. And, and this was about two, three weeks ago. And I remember thinking, you know, because he's not bullish. He's not sitting there hoping he, he he wishes they would both lose. He wishes both Biden and Trump could lose if that were possible. Um, but he's uh, he'll basically leave the top of the ticket blank and vote Republican the rest of the way down. So that's why I use him as a barometer. So what's well, changed? He's, in the he's last... not the only one. He's not the only one. There's a no. solid four to six point four to six percentage points, not four to six percent, but four to six percentage points of Republican voters who feel that way. Um, you know, and, and the conventional wisdom over the past three to six months has been, and they might make the difference. He's a Trump's already going to lose independence by seven gajillion thousand percent. And if he loses 4% of Republicans game over. Okay. So let's talk about the polling situation. Now, of course, polling one, it's not a, it's not a precise science Two, it's only a snapshot in time and it is no guarantee of future outcomes. Additionally, shortcomings of national polling. We do not have a national election. All right. So national polling is somewhat irrelevant, but for you can make some generalized statements. For example, a Republican does not need to win the national poll to win the Electoral College. It's happened several times in the, in the 21st century. In general, though, if a Democrat wins the national vote by more than three percentage points, it there's that's probably, you know, a 95 percent confidence interval that they're going to win the Electoral College. So where do we stand now? Now, look, a lot of hay has been made by this Trump plus 10 in a Trump-Biden matchup poll that was done by ABC Washington Post. Now, obviously, ABC Washington Post is no friend of the Trumpster or Republicans. But let's look at the the average poll of polls. And people hear me refer to Real Clear Politics. A lot of pundits point to them. Again, the nice thing about that site, it's, it's got the when you go to the polls section, there's no commentary. It's just the numbers and averages. And it shows you which one they average in, shows you margin of error, shows you who did the poll. Interesting things to note. In 2016, when you compare from as early as polls started until snapshot today, so late September, Trump, Clinton started off double digits, almost 20 to 24 points ahead of Trump when polling first began. And then it narrowed basically as Trump started campaigning throughout 2015, because keep in mind it's 2023, so you got to go to the year before the election year. But then once Hillary took the lead, she consistently stayed in the lead except for two one-day periods. May 24th of 2016, Trump got ahead plus 0.2. Again, this is in the real clear politics average of polls. So they take you know, the seven or eight biggest polls. They don't weight them. They don't do the Nate Silver, I think I'm so correct, even though I totally missed the 2016 election. They don't do his thing where he weights polls and assigns grading to the poll quality. They just take a raw average. And then again, in 2016, July 28th, 2016, Trump was ahead by 1.1 points. So you had two brief intervals where Trump was ahead of Hillary. The remainder of the time, Hillary was ahead. Anywhere from eight to 10 points to right before election day, she was ahead by about two and a half. And I think she ended up winning the popular vote by a little under two percentage points. Um, in fact, no, I'm sorry. She won the popular vote by 3.2% is what she ended up winning the popular vote. But we all know how that election turned out. Trump won, Trump won the electoral college. Let's talk about 2020. In 2020, as, as far back as they started keeping polls, which they started keeping poll, track of polls in October of 2019. Now, again, that feels like a century ago because of code and everything. But think back to the world in October of 2019. I think the consensus was 
in a Trump versus Biden matchup, Trump cruises to reelection because the economy was going gangbusters. Once the campaigning started, Trump's Trump would people would say, you know, life is pretty good. We'll stick it out with him. Then, of course, COVID happened. But an interesting thing in that polling cycle, Trump never led Biden in the real clear politics average. There were a few outlier polls that showed him leading, but he never led. And in fact, the closest he ever got was Biden plus two and a half to plus three. The polling ended up at Biden plus seven. I believe the vote, again, set aside accusations of improper conduct, fraud or anything like that. Um, The media reported polling was, I believe, Biden won by about five percentage points. Okay, so now you've, you've got these two scenarios. 2016, Trump won, and he led two snapshots in time, but Hillary led, led the rest of the time. 2020, Biden read, led consistently in the average of polls. So that begs the question, where are we at now? Right now, Trump is ahead by plus 1.6 in the real clear politics average Which of polls. Absolutely outrageous. It's <laughs> outrageous. If, if you, <laughs> frankly, I would say, if he were just losing by less than two, I would call that outrageous. Yeah. The fact that he is leading in the average poll of polls has to have Democrats worried. And we'll comment on that in a second. But let's just finish our analysis. Not only is he leading right now, but when you go back now, they started keeping track of these polls much sooner. They started in February of this year. So pollsters have been out there asking Trump versus Biden since February of 2023. That's the earliest in the presidential election cycle out of the last two cycles that we looked at. So since February of 2023, now Biden started out ahead by two, but then it basically trended towards Trump. Trump got a little bit ahead for a small snapshot in late February. Then it trended back to Biden. And then it really jumped for Trump to be in the lead. And Trump stayed in the lead for this average from April to July of this year. Now, interestingly, April through July is when most of those indictments occurred. Which is, which is really odd. Some, some occurred in August, but most of those indictments occurred in that April to July timeframe. But Trump was solidly in the lead in this average poll of polls. Then Biden got back into the lead in August and September, got, hit a big lead in early September. A big lead is plus two points in this. But now it's trended back to Trump and Trump is now consistently in the lead. So what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, the Trump plus 10, do I think that's accurate? No, I, I don't think... I don't think there's any scenario where Trump wins the popular vote by 10 percentage points. I, I just I think Biden could have a a week before the election. Trump doesn't still doesn't win by 10 percentage points. No. Um, I, I just don't see that happening. Now, interestingly, since that poll came out, two more came, polls came out, a morning consult poll showing Biden plus one and an economist YouGov showing Biden plus five. Um, so that begs the question. Is that Washington Post a true outlier or is that an outlier and the Biden plus five is an outlier? And we really are in a pick them or plus one, minus one, either direction, percentage point, plus one, minus one percentage point is, is the metric we're using. I think I think we're in a plus one for Trump. I think we're genuinely at the point where Trump has a slight lead in the national polling. And here's why. In that morning, in that ABC Washington Post Trump plus 10 poll, they have polls have these things called cross tabs. And that's what you hear political pundits and, and political, you know, political operatives talk about. Oh, what do the cross tabs say? Dive into the cross tabs. Cross tabs are the additional data points. So, for instance, what's the breakdown of women? How did women, you know, they went 55, 45 to Biden? How did Hispanic voters? How did black voters 
cast their or, or in the poll? How did they respond? Uh, how did people respond to questions of who they trust with the economy more? So all those second and third level questions, that's what's in the cross tabs. Now, some polling outfits are very closely guarded and don't release their cross tabs. They feel that's the proprietary information. And if you want to pay their subscription fee, uh, Rasmussen is like that. If you want to pay their fee, you can get access to the cross tabs. Some outfits, you know, especially some of the ones run by universities, will publish their entire data set and you can comb through them. ABC News Washington Post poll released a summary, so a narrative summary of various cross tabs, you know, a bullet point, two or three sentences, another bullet point, two or three sentences. What was interesting is the one data point they did not offer up. They did not say what the split was among black voters. Now you might ask, why am I focusing so much on that? There are certain truisms in politics that have not shifted a whole lot in 20 or 30 years. Some have shifted wildly. For instance, the, the move of white working class from being predominantly Democrat voters to predominantly Republican voters, that is a, a tectonic shift. That's what propelled Donald Trump to the White House in 2016. That and depressed, um, not depressed, but lower voter turnout in some other groups that hurt Hillary Clinton. Um, the recent shifting of the Hispanic vote has, has opened up opportunities for Republicans in some areas. On the negative side, the rapid move, the you know tsunami-like move of married white women in the suburbs who used to be reliable Republican voters, security moms. That's what, that's what Karl Rove identified them as. They used to be reliably Republican. They're now almost so solidly Democrat, it's hard to find a married white woman in the suburbs or and a married white woman in the suburbs who lives in a 200K a year income type situation who doesn't vote Democrat. And then single women, they've always been more Democrat, but they're now so solidly Democrat, it's almost not even worth trying if you're a Republican. So why am I focusing on the black vote? Because that is one cohort that the Democrat Party has, they've focused on at least winning the vote. I, I My criticism of the Democrats is they don't actually do anything to improve uh, the livelihoods or the living quality of life in black communities. They, they try to, you know, through patronage and sucking up to various figures who are deemed uh, movers and shakers in those communities, try to continue to get that vote. But they have to rely on winning the black vote by 60, 70, 80%. So that means in city areas that have high concentrations of African-American voters, they've got to rack up, you know, 60, 70, 80 point margins to offset what used to be the suburban collar counties and now the rural areas that used to sort of be maybe a little Republican that are now 70-30 Republican or 80-20 Republican, depending on how red the county is. They didn't mention what the breakdown was for black voters in the, in the crosstab summary. The one thing they mentioned is Biden only won minority, ethnic minority voters um, by not by, but with 50%. And then I believe Trump got 34%. They did note that Hispanics went for Trump in this poll, 50 to 44. Do I think Trump is going to win a majority of Hispanics? I don't think he'll win a majority. I think he might get within five points. If Trump gets within five points in Hispanics, with Hispanics, and gets anything over 20% with African-American voters, game over. Yeah, yeah, right. It doesn't matter how many deranged woke white women in the suburbs vote for Joe. No, because you'll lose. You lose Milwaukee. You lose Wisconsin. You lose Minnesota. You won't lose. You won't lose Milwaukee. You just <clears> won't <throat> lose it by the margin that a Republican needs to lose it by for the Democrat to win. You know, well, what I'm saying is, if, if if the black if the black vote in Wisconsin were to go up, that means you've probably lost. Like you've lost what you did last year in Milwaukee. Right. Is what I'm saying. Right. 
well, maybe that came out wrong, but I just no, mean... I, I think we understand what you're saying. But here's a, here's another interesting statistic, and I believe I offered this up on the last show. <clears throat> Some analysis was done, and you know, Trump lost 2020 by about 120 to 150,000 votes if you spread them out. If you could spread them out where you'd wanted, that's all it would have taken. It's about 150,000 votes, you know, 10,000 in this state, 15,000 in this state, and he could have won the election. Um, he didn't. He didn't need to overcome the you know 80 gajillion billion votes that that Joe Biden got. He just needed about 150,000 votes in four or five states. If black voter turnout, not if one percent of black voters voted for Donald Trump, but if black voter turnout were down one percent, Trump would have won. And let me let me rephrase that. If the voter black voter turnout were down one percent and the voting patterns didn't change with the remaining black voters who came out and voted, they voted in the same proportion. Trump would have won. So now you're looking at a scenario in 2024 where maybe black voter turnout will be down. Maybe it'll be up. You know, it's hard to judge something. It's hard to judge voter turnout. I mean, that's something politicos and and political operatives spend inordinate amounts of time trying to engineer and forecast and understand. But imagine a scenario, say black voter turnout is the same as 2020 or say it's down one or two percent. And you have a shift of four or five percentage points from Democrat to Republican. You're talking a voting scenario that we have not seen literally in over 100 years, almost 100 years. Uh, you know, people don't understand this, but up through the 1940s, African-Americans were a reliable voting block for Republicans. From after the Civil War until the, the 30s and 40s, blacks were a reliable voting block for the Republican Party. It was That shift didn't start occurring until the 40s and 50s, and then it, then it really accelerated during the 60s and 70s. Reagan was able to make some progress. I believe he got 22% of the black vote in, in his re-election bid in 1984, and that's when he won 49 states in the Electoral College. Do I think Trump can win 49 states? No, I'm not saying no. that. <laughs> but if trends continue, and if, if there is something there, the Democrats should be extremely worried. So what do I think is weighing on Joe Biden? I mean, besides the ec- economy, inflation, I think as people are really sizing him up, they are realizing he's, he's not going to make it through a second term. And do I want to vote for Kamala Harris? I, I don't even know if people go that deep. I just think they go, I don't want to vote for a guy I don't even think can make it through the term. So do they consider voting for Trump or do they just consider not voting? I also do think some of this information that's coming about coming out about Hunter Biden is starting to weigh because while some of it's very complex and convoluted, it's a lot more straightforward than trying to explain, well, you see, in Trump Tower, there was a ping off of an IP address for Alpha Bank. Alpha Bank is a Russian bank that's funded by oligarchs. So Trump borrowed money from Alpha Bank to da 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 or trying to explain the Ukraine phone call that he was impeached over. I <laughs> promise you, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a diehard Democrat that you personally know who can explain to you what exactly Trump did wrong. And, and, and they'll say, quid pro quo. Okay, well, what did he want in exchange for what? Well, quid pro quo, that's all. They might be able to utter that. Whereas with the stuff with Joe Biden, it's, well, Hunter was getting paid lots of money and he's a derelict and he does blow and hookers and he did it to peddle influence with his father. Like, it's pretty simple. Now, some of the details get pretty into minutia and, you know, this LLC and that LLC. But, you know, people can look at Hunter Biden's life and go, that rich a-hole or that a-hole was getting tons of money. He's a complete incompetent. All he does is screw hookers and do cocaine and try to smoke Parmesan cheese because he thought it was meth, but because daddy's the vice president, he gets away with it. And people understand that. And people, regular people hate that. And I think yeah. especially it might resonate in some minority communities that 
wait, if I did that, I'd, I'd get my ass whipped by the cops and thrown in jail for 20 years. But mm. because his last name is Biden, he gets away with whatever he wants. Well, I think that's how it kind of all started. And <clears throat> I know we got to wrap this one up, not to go pull it all back. But what, what, one thing I do want to add, uh, the article you found, the, the polling data you found is incredible. And the way you broke it down is great. But what I think is happening is, and I'm not saying anything you don't know, but I think that who who put that up again? ABC, you said? ABC, Washington yeah. Post. Washington Post, right. Yeah, just a great paper. But these guys are basically showing you just enough to tell you Biden's not our guy, but not the other end to put the Democrats in complete panic about how bad this actually is. So I think that you're going to see more of these like bat signals up like in, for people to you know begin to try to move this man aside. James Carvel went on a rant from hell two days ago, heard dropped the F on. You, you heard it. Yeah. Yep. He begged, we need to get this guy the, out of here. And like, you know, they, they understand this, but you're going to see more from this, from influential newspapers that are very partisan. You'll start to see them like the Washington compost. They'll start to, yeah, they're going to start to do stuff like this. Right. And if he doesn't take the hint, it, it, it will get ugly. And I know one thing, no matter what Democrat you are, get out of the way of that machine when your number is called, uh, because that is an unstoppable, you know, rebel force. But I mean, right. excellent so breakdown. It, quick, quick comment on timeline. Yeah. Many people may be wondering, well, hold on. If somebody wants to challenge Biden, don't they have to file by certain dates in primaries? Most states, and you can look this up on Ballotopedia, most states, what's written in their law is it's up to the individual parties to determine their nominees and how the, and that process. Sure. Now, some states, though, do have filing requirements. So in Nevada, you actually have to file with the secretary of state if you want to be on the ballot for either major party. And there are certain requirements, so many signatures and this and that. Other states, the party may say, well, you need this many signatures. And, and the party's filing deadline, you know, may be fixed. But trust me, the party can always get together and, and change it if they need to or want to. But it's not. In other words, it's not fixed by law because that's that's what's tough. Right. It, if you try to get a politician to change a state law about filing deadlines, that, that looks shady. Whereas, look, the parties can do whatever they want. The state parties can just get together and change the bylaws at the drop of a hat. Um, and depending on how the bylaws can be changed per the bylaws. But Nevada is the first state with, you know, a state law dictated filing deadline. And that's October 16th. Now, could you win the Democrat nomination without winning Nevada? Of course you could. So, I think a lot of hay will be made of that. I don't think anybody will file, but it is interesting. You're starting to see Democrats, and there was even a congressman, I forget where he's from, but he flat out said, I'm contemplating challenging Biden. Now, he's not RFK who can be brushed aside as just some kook, right? That, that's the party line. That's the white lab coat class. They just brush him aside and disregard him. Marianne Wilmington, she is disregarded and, and for good reason. But if a sitting congressman who's a Democrat in good standing says, look, I'm going to challenge Biden, he'll at least get attention. And, and the question is, who would be the person that would challenge Biden that Biden would actually take seriously? If a Gavin Newsom stepped up, if Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania, who I spoke of a couple of months ago, if Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, if any one of these people stepped up and said, look, I'm really challenging him. I think it's time for him to go. We need some fresh faces in there. At what point would Biden take them seriously and actually begin to campaign? I mean, he is essentially has not campaigned at all for the Democrat nomination. He's just assuming it's his. And if somebody serious does step up, does he actually campaign? And, and then here's the worst case scenario. What if they have a bruising primary and he limps to the finish 
and gets their nomination. Meanwhile, Trump just sits back and watches it all happen. Because I hate to say Trump's going to have the nomination locked up by February. It's going to be game over. He's probably going to run the table in the first five or six states, and everybody else's donors will drop out, and it'll be all over. But what if the Democrats are in the midst of a bruising primary? Could get very interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, it will be interesting. You keep an eye on that for us. How about that? Keep you coming back. That is a... As long as the Eagles remain undefeated. Sorry, I just had to to shoehorn that in there. It's okay. I appreciate it. Yeah, they are still winning a lot of football games. (laughs) It's a pretty good team. But uh, all right, well, look, Tommy Bench, thanks for jumping on the show here. Keep tabs on that, and hopefully we can have you back on next week. Will do. Out here. Thanks. (laughs) What a show. Isn't it great to have the lineup kind of back in order here? An unreliable leadoff man that sometimes gets on him myself. Fro Exotic, the drunk neighbor, Tommy Bench. We just need the young Woken in here in the fifth hole, but I know he's been a lot busy with work and his kid, but we look forward to having him come on and talk about Green Bay beating the stupid team in New Orleans, and there's some development with the Phoenix of Green Bay, Wisconsin, with Coach Sundance. Coach Sundance Wicks. Un. Believable. I'm going to troll the mule piss out of this man all year. I'll be betting against them. I'll be at a game this year, too. You can bet on that. Thanks to my crew for coming in. One more time, be sure and rate, subscribe, and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Sports Antelope. Reach out, touch a brother. Tell somebody about the Sports Antelope today. Keep it real. Anadotions.